0: in here and we all know it. hi everybody i'm peter jacobson and welcome to jake's takes yeah, 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 yeah. well the first week of the fedex cup playoffs are over and the northern trust open was held at liberty national ended on sunday and had a bit of a surprise winner not surprised in the fact that uh, you don't think this guy can win, but surprised because Patrick Reed hasn't been playing that well of late. We all know him as Captain America because of his success in the Ryder Cup in the past, and also because of his controversy. He made some controversial comments about his teammates and his experience over in France at the Ryder Cup a couple of years ago. Or I should say last year. And I think everybody believed that Patrick Reed had to make the top eight of this year's President's Cup team to secure an automatic bid because not sure that people, Captain Tiger Woods would want to have Patrick Reed back on his team, not because he can't play, but because he might be a bit of a disruptive force. In my opinion, I want a guy like that on my team. I want a guy that's going to chew you up and spit you out. You're not on the team to make friends. I understand that. You're on the team to win. You're on the team to represent the United States. You're on the team because you can play and you're going to get points. And that's the most important thing when you go into a team competition. So the winner up at Liberty National, Patrick Reed, he was 19th on the President's Cup list coming in. He jumped all the way to 12th. Actually, he passed Captain Tiger Woods, who dropped to number 13 on the list. And I know speculation comes when people think, hey, will Tiger pick himself? To play for the United States team in Australia at the President's Cup in December, I never thought that would happen. I think Tiger's too smart for that. Unless Tiger were out winning tournaments and competing for major championships, I didn't think he was going to pick himself, which I don't think he will. Yes, he did win the Masters, but his form of late is not what any captain would want to see. Plus, he's, uh, he's hurting a bit. So I think you can take Tiger Woods out of the conversation of him picking himself to play. So, the FedEx Cup playoffs move to the BMW Championship in Chicago, and it, it's all different this year. There's only three playoff events. This is the second, and then they move on to the tour championship in Atlanta, and the format changes. So, it's really kind of a sprint to the end. You're not going to have two winners like we've had in the past. You're not going to have somebody win the tour championship and then somebody else win the FedEx Cup like last year. Tiger Woods won the Tour Championship, Justin Rose, won the FedEx Cup. This year, it's going to be one guy. So I'm going to be interested to see how how that happens and how that turns out. Tonight, I'm coming to you from my favorite spot in the world, Pebble Beach, California, where tonight I was part of a great event honoring the late Jim Langley, the longtime pro at the Cypress Point Golf Club here in Monterey Peninsula. It's called the Langley, and it's in honor of Jim and his name, the Langley Scholarship Foundation honoring returning veterans and the PGA of America HOPE program. And we honored two great people tonight, Bob Lurie and Mark O'Mara. We all know Mark O'Mara, the Hall of Fame golfer, five-time winner at the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am and two-time major championship winner, both in 1998, he won the Masters and the Open Championship. But Bob Lurie, my very good friend from the Bay Area, former owner of the San Francisco Giants in fact he bought the team to keep the team here in the Bay Area the owner was threatening to sell the team to a a Canadian brewing company and they were going to move the team to Toronto it worked out for them they subsequently got a franchise of Major League Baseball but Bob was instrumental in keeping the Giants here in the Bay Area so we had a chance to catch up with Bob and Connie Lurie tonight and honor Bob and also honor Mark and it was held at the Beach Club. Everybody that's been to the Beach Club knows how special it is. It overlooks the 17th Green here at Pebble Beach. So it was a, a great honor to be part of that event again. So since we are here at Pebble Beach, coming up in this podcast, I'm going to tell the story about Jack Lemon, Clint Eastwood, Greg Norman, and I forming a human chain of golf safety during one of the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am's. When we were playing at Cypress Point, it's a it's a really cool really cool story that some of you may remember. And what is the role of the golf commentator on television whether you're a PGA Tour player or an LPGA Tour player for that matter? Turned broadcaster, what is your responsibility? Are you supposed to go hard? Are you supposed to go easy? What is it that lies in our playbook? What do we have to do to do our job on television? So, hang in there, stay with us. Thanks for listening. It's a Fired up and making sure they show it. The loud, not your usual crowd. It's a jungle in here. Jungle in here. And we Anytime I spend a significant amount of time in Pebble Beach, it always brings back memories of the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro Am and my great friend and longtime partner, the Academy Award-winning actor Jack Lemon. So for All of you that don't know who Jack Lemmon is, you should Google him. He was one of those great actors from the era of Bing Crosby and Bob Hope that could make you laugh, and he could make you cry. Now, he wasn't a great golfer, but uh, we all know that we can have a lot of fun with people, even if they're not very good golfers in pro-ams and events like that, because they're such special people. And being at the U.S. Open this year at Pebble Beach, I was there not to play, not to do television, but I was there... With my duties with uh, Lexus, which is the official vehicle of the U.S. Open, 13th year as a corporate sponsor partner of the USGA. So I was thinking about all the fun times I'd had at Pebble Beach. And everybody seemed to ask me about what we called the human chain, which happened in 1987 at Cypress Point. We were playing the 16th hole. And for anybody that knows Cypress Point, that that dramatically treacherous par 3, which plays over the rocks, over the corner of the Pacific Ocean from the tee, all the way to the green, about 250 yards away. I was playing with Greg Norman and Clint Eastwood. They were a partnership team, and Jack Lemon and I were partners. Well, we got to the 16th hole, and Greg and I hit three woods or drivers up on the green. It's It's a tough shot. It's a hard shot to be able to thread the needle and put it on the green, but we did that. We were successful. But Eastwood and Lemon didn't have the length to get it to the green, but there is an area to the left that you can lay up, So they both hit drivers and they laid up and Clint successfully put it over there. He found turf. He was on the grass. Jack Clement hit his a little bit too far to the right. It hung up, but it was in the ice plant. And for all of you that know the ice plant, nobody can advance a ball out of the treacherous ice plant that is on the Monterey Peninsula on all the golf courses. So as we're walking around, we walked by his ball, which was hanging over the edge 80 feet down to the rocks below it um, in the Pacific Ocean. Pretty scary place to be. You don't even you don't even go within 10 feet of the edge because it's uh, if you're scared of heights, uh, you know, you start getting those feelings in your stomach and you back away quickly. Well, we walked by and we waved it off, and Clint Eastwood looked at it and said, "There's no way, Jack, you got to play that shot." And I said, "No, no, no, Clint, that's uh, that's a bad idea." And Clint said, "Don't worry about it. I got it." So he reaches over and he yanks out a sandwich out of Lemon's bag and he grabs Jack by the arm and he starts walking him to the cliff. And Greg and I are looking at each other like, what's happening? So he turns Lemon around and he grabs the back of Lemon's pants. He grabs him by the belt and starts pushing him toward the edge. Well, Jack's game. He's smiling and laughing because he got it. So Clint turns to me and points at the back of his pants and he says, grab onto me. Well, I said, okay, here we go. I turned around and I pointed to Greg. He grabbed me and Greg's caddy, Pete Bender, the legendary caddy, grabbed Greg. So as we start marching toward the edge, I'm thinking this is a really bad idea because it, it was dangerous. And anybody that knows that little area, that little corner knows how dangerous that can be. Well, as we get over there, uh, Jack is standing so close to the edge Now, as I said earlier, you can't move a ball out of the ice plant. Jack took a mighty swing with this sand wedge, and miraculously, this ball pops out, and it lands over there by Eastwood's ball, about 40, 50 yards short of the green. The minute Jack made contact, Eastwood yanked back, almost pulled Jack off his feet, down onto his butt. Greg and I and Pete Bender, we all backed up and drug him back, and we saw the ball pop out and land in the fairway. We were laughing so hard high-fiving each other, and the CBS cameras were rolling, and they got it on film, which you could, I think you could still pull it up today, probably on YouTube. But I do know that in 2017, they took the 30-year anniversary of that human chain, and they put it on the program, the front of the program, and made a poster out of of the uh, 1987 human chain with Jack Clint, Greg me, and Pete Bender. But after we got done with that, everybody's having a great time. Jack gets over his ball, pulls out a sand wedge, lines up his shot. And what does he do? He shanked that ball right into the ocean. And we all just lost it. We're like, Jack, what are you doing? Of course, he dropped to his knees in, uh, in, 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 in fading disgust. That ball probably should have been in the ocean the whole time. But I think back to the times I had at the AT&T playing with Jack Lemmon. Some of the greatest moments of my golf career. keep your head on straight, don't let them get to you. Put a smile on your face, get rid of that frown, gotta suck it up, there's no time to melt down. It's a jungle in here, and we all know it. Are- I'm originally from Portland, Oregon, and I'm a proud University of Oregon duck, and I love being from the Pacific Northwest, but When all three of my children went east for college, I knew I needed to change things up. I wanted to get back into their same time zone. So after an extensive search, my wife and I ended up in the Naples, Florida area. But I wished I'd had Golf Life Navigators to help me make that decision. Golf Life Navigators is like Match.com meets Zillow. It's the only place you can go to uncover your ideal golf lifestyle. So go to GolfLifeNavigators.com and fill out the ProGuide 3 questionnaire. It will ask you all the pertinent questions like, where do you want to live? Or how do you want to experience your golf? Then it matches you to golf clubs, and you get to choose which one has the best environment for you. Look, I, I really don't understand the internet or how it works, but it's so easy even I can figure this out. Here's a subject that holds a particular interest for me, and that is, what is the role of the professional golfer turned broadcaster? Now, it's an interesting debate when you start watching golf on television, and all of a sudden, a player turns up on the broadcast, and he is either sitting in the big chair, someone like Faldo or Paul Azinger or Johnny Miller, or he's a hole announcer, or he's walking on the golf course. There are There are quite a few roles that a player can take. You can sit in the studio, you can be, and in the Golf Channel case, you could be live from, or you can be a special contributor. But if you're a former player and you're now doing broadcast, we're really not set up to do that. We're. It's really hard to understand how you become a broadcaster. There's, there's no broadcast school you go to. Your bosses just hope that you have the gift of gab and you can tell some stories and you can make sense and paint a picture for the for the viewer watching but I'm always asked should I be tougher or easier on the players and I've probably been accused of being too easy on the players I know there are a lot of broadcasters that are pretty tough on the players but whether you're tough or you're easy on the players the thing I've always tried to be and I think every broadcaster should be and that's objective I have no problem taking a player who I like a great deal, a Jordan Spieth, a Phil Mickelson, a Tiger Woods, a, a Dustin Johnson. If they hit a horrible shot, I'm going to tell you that's a horrible shot. That's a bad shot. But I also follow it up with what he has next. If he hits a horrible shot, what is his next shot? What are the, what are the opportunities to get the ball up and down? Because thinking as a player. We're all going to hit bad shots. But it's the recovery, I think, that makes you great. And you think about Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson and Jack Nicklaus and all the great players in the history of the game. It isn't so much the great shots they hit. It's the recovery shots they hit and the bad shots they get away with. Well, the debate this year, and it really came to uh, the forefront, was Brandel Chamblee, my my good friend and colleague with the Golf Channel, taking on some of the players, and he's been very critical of Tiger Woods, as we all know. But this year, he took on Phil Mickelson and also Brooks Kepka. There was some debate about Brooks Kepka. He had lost weight. I think he was doing the Sports Illustrated body issue. I don't know what he was doing. But but Brandel accused Brooks of engaging in, quote, reckless self-sabotage, end quote. Now, I know that that's going to make Brooks mad. It's going to make anybody mad when somebody gets on camera and pics on you. But let's not forget Brandel Chambly played the tour. He won on tour. That's just his opinion. And that's what he's paid to do. When you're when you take a paycheck and you're on television, that's what they want. They want your opinion. They want they want to know what you think. And again, you can either broadcast and be glass half full or glass half empty. Now I'm not going to tell you who I think does what because it's a It's a little more complicated than that. But if you're a player and you're out there inside the ropes, you're fair game. If you hit a great shot, everybody is going to tell you how great that shot was. If you hit a bad shot, you should be objective enough to be able to call it a bad shot. And the players should be able to accept the fact that they hit a bad shot and be honest with themselves. So I think Brandel, for what he is trying to do, I think he does an excellent job. Do I agree with everything Brandel says? No. Do I think he makes a point, and does he do his research? Yes. I worked with Johnny Miller for many years at NBC, and Johnny Miller is probably the, the greatest broadcaster. People might, might disagree with that, but the one thing Johnny Miller was always, and that is honest. Johnny would say what came to his mind. Johnny Miller is a Hall of Fame golfer, one of, the, one of my mentors on the PGA Tour. I just love Johnny Miller. But would I agree with everything Johnny would say? No, not at all. Johnny would always accuse me of being too too, uh, too easy on the players. But I would t- say to Johnny, I'm just looking for that next shot, the recovery, which I think makes you a great player. Johnny Miller, let's not forget Johnny Miller when, it, when he played, he would hit his six and seven and eight irons. He'd hit them within a foot, like six, seven holes in a row. Johnny Miller didn't have to ever have any recovery game because he was so spot on and so precise with his iron play. But there are other players like Tiger, like Phil, like Seve, these players had to have great short games and and had to recover from some bad shots, so I think everybody has to understand that a player turned broadcaster that broadcaster has to find his way and find his path. The bottom line is, is the broadcaster player slash broadcaster just has to be objective, call it the way that they see it. you don't have to make friends you're certainly going to make some enemies like Brandel has but I think if you sit back and accept Brandel or any other broadcaster, me, Johnny Miller, Paul Azinger, Gary Cope, Brad Faxon, it doesn't matter who it is. If you just accept the fact that that's their opinion and they're entitled to it, I think you'll enjoy broadcasts a lot more. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's Jake's Takes Podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Peter Jacobson. These have been my takes. What are yours?